we're going to be looking at Genesis, and we're going to be looking at chapter 3, and we're looking at a familiar story out of Genesis. Uh, We are looking at Adam and Eve and the serpent, Uh, and we're going to go through this, and I'm just going to read for you a a few verses here, and then uh, we're going to jump into... Uh, what God has placed on my heart this morning. All right. Uh, So Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1, says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Verse 2 says, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And in our last verse says, at that moment their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time of fellowship. We thank you so much for this time of learning. Lord, I ask right now that you would open hearts this morning to what you are going to say. Lord, I ask that you show us from your word what you would have us to know. And I pray that you would anoint my mouth, my mind, and allow me to focus on what you have instilled in me. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that each and every person would be hearers and doers of this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to be speaking to you guys from the topic this morning of the true cost of being in the know, okay? Uh, because this story ultimately is a story about us wanting to come to knowledge and us, uh, uh, us not really understanding what the full impact of what that means, Okay. So we're going to step through the story, and I, I'm going to show you a couple of things and try and pull some things out, uh, starting at verse 1, all right, uh, where the Bible says this. The uh, Bible says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Now, this question, um, when you read through it in, in this portion of the text, it may not give you all that much context, okay? Uh, but what's happening here is something that uh, we commonly see uh, going on today with, like, if we were to look at, like, law enforcement and how they would, uh, how they go and they interview suspects, okay? Um, so... The serpent does something here that's really kind of key here. 
So he asked the question, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? And what's funny is the serpent already knows the answer to this question. What he's trying to do essentially is he's trying to figure out what she knows about what God said. Okay. So, you know, I, I told you that law enforcement technically uses this, this particular technique. And how they do it is usually what they'll do is they'll have the suspect sit down, and they already kind of know that this person was involved in this crime somehow. So what they'll do is they'll say, all right, so tell me exactly what happened. All right, and they'll go through that a few times just to uh, give this person a chance to slip up, okay? They'll give them a chance to change some of the facts, okay? And if they see that they're changing the facts, they'll have an idea that they're probably not telling the truth. Okay. Now, if that doesn't happen, here's what happens next. What they'll do is they'll say, all right, well, let me see if I got this right. And then they'll start reading it back to them. And what they'll do is they'll change one minor detail about the story, okay, to see if the suspect will actually pick up on it and try and change it. If they agree with the statement that was changed, then they'll know that, the criminal is not telling the truth. Okay, so this is exactly what the serpent did here. He took what God said and he twisted it. He took one key part of it and he switched it. Okay, and he told it in a way that it was close enough, but not quite close enough so that he could figure out whether or not Eve knew what God said or not. So let's take a look and see what God actually said. So if we go back to chapter 2. And starting in verse 15 of Genesis, the Bible says this. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend over it and watch it. Verse 16. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Verse 17. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. All right? So now... God said that you can eat from every tree except for one. The devil, when he comes to Eve, he points out everything else. If we go back to to, uh, verse 1, he points out everything else when he says, uh, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees? Okay, so he's basically trying to take her focus off of the one thing that God told them not to do, okay? And he put it on everything else, okay? So he took it out of context, but he took it out of context on purpose is the thing, okay? So now what's interesting about this is that it was so subtle that just like the criminal, like the suspect, when they're being interrogated, okay, she fell into the trap. She clearly fell into the trap. Because if we look at verse 2, the Bible says this. She says, of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. Okay, so she was one for one. She got that right. That's what God said. Okay. Then verse 3 says this. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. All right, two for two. She's good. Now here's where she messes up because she says she goes to quote God and she actually misquotes him. 
She says, God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. God never said that. God never said that. He just said you can't eat from it. Okay? So she embellishes on it, and the devil knows he got her. Knows he got her. Because now she's just added a detail that wasn't there. Now, I don't know if God had a conversation directly with her or not, but we know that God had a a conversation with Adam, and she may have even gotten that information from Adam. But the fact that she added something to it, okay, was not a good thing, okay? And the serpent picked right up on it, okay? Because, see, what happens next is telltale, okay? Because any time that any time that a person is trying to deceive you, they'll know that they can deceive you more if they know that you don't have a full grasp of the truth. They'll know you don't have that full grasp of the truth based on what the truth actually is. They measure it up. And the serpent clearly did that. He knew as soon as she said, or even touch it, oh, gotcha. I know you don't really know what God said. Okay, or I know you don't really trust what God said because you're not saying exactly what he said. You're embellishing on it. Okay, so he knows he has her. And his very next statement in verse four is this. You won't die. Okay, and (laughs) this is funny to me because like the serpent is very crafty. It said in, in verse one that he was the shrewdest of all the animals in the garden. And what's interesting about this is this very first statement, and it only took two in order for her to kind of fall into this trap. This very first statement was used to cast doubt about what God had said, okay? And to put just a small seed of doubt as to whether or not she could trust what God had said. All it took was one statement, okay? So... The serpent clearly told a lie here, okay? But then in the next verse, verse 5, he mixes it in with a little bit of truth, okay? Because it says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. That's true. Their eyes did get open after that. And then it says, and you will be like God. Uh, I don't know how close that is. But then here's the big part. It says that they would be like God, knowing both good and evil, So the serpent mixes in a little bit of a lie with a little bit of truth. And that right there was enough to both cast doubt on what God had said. And then at the same time, it was enough to tempt her to start going down this path. Well, maybe maybe God didn't really say that. Maybe God didn't really mean that we would die. I mean, nobody dies from eating food, right? You know, what's interesting about this is, like, I think about this as I was reading the story over and over. At this particular point in time, the earth was perfect, okay? The world was absolutely perfect, okay? Sin hadn't entered the world yet, so there was no such thing as death or decay, okay? But God told them that they would die if they eat of this tree. So I don't even think that they could fully conceptualize what that meant in terms of death. But he told them, and they took it at face value at first. 
But then as soon as the serpent came along and gave a counter argument to it, it was like, oh, well, maybe we won't die. Maybe we won't die. Okay. So what you have here is, if we just do a quick recap, the serpent comes to Eve and asks if God really said that they couldn't eat from any of the trees. Clearly misquotes God, changes a slight context of what he said, and then gets her thinking about it. And she says, no, we can eat from any of the trees in the garden that we wish. It is only from the one tree in the middle of the garden that we can't eat from. And if we eat of it or even touch it, she embellishes right there. So she messed up. Then we'll die. Okay, so her concept was messed up at this point. And (laughs) it's just funny to me because, like, this wasn't even a debate. Okay, she said one thing. Okay, the devil comes back or the serpent comes back and he says another thing. And she just goes, okay, that's good. It's good enough for me. Okay, so let's move on to verse 6, because here's where the story takes a big shift. All right, so verse 6, the Bible says, the woman was convinced. We're going to hang out there for a second, because this is funny. So... All it took for her to be convinced was for the serpent to basically present a counter argument to what she said, what she thought she knew. Okay. And to me, it's like, all right, well, why would she even fall for this? Because even by her own admission, if she ate of it or even touched it, she was going to die. You know, now... It's just funny because, like, the more and more I thought about that, the more I was like, yeah, that couldn't have been me. Because I'm I'm a little bit too much of a thinker. And to those of you that know me personally, y'all know I I do a ton of thinking uh, and sometimes to my own detriment. But it's like I thought about this this scenario, and basically she had a 50-50 shot, okay? Either what she thought about what God said was true, and she could die, or what the serpent was saying was true, and she would get this knowledge of good and evil. And see, the serpent couldn't have came to me with that because he'd have been like, he'd be like, "Yo, Q, you got to try some of this fruit. It's good stuff." And to which my response would have been, uh, "I don't know about that, man. God said we're gonna die if we eat of it or even touch it. So I don't know if that's for me." And then the serpent would have came back, "Look, man, you ain't gonna die. Come on, son." You ain't going to die. Let's be real. And, you know, to me, it was like, all right, well, in one hand, I have, I could eat of it or even touch it and die. And then on the other hand, I have, well, you know, this, this dude, the serpent could be right. um, And, you know, I could gain this knowledge of good and evil, which I didn't even fully understand anyway. You see, at at that point, I'd have been like, hmm. You first. Because <laughs> you wouldn't have got me on that. No, 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 no. You're not going to get me on that. You, a 50-50 shot? Please. A 50-50 shot is good, like, if you got a chance of hitting a lotto for $100 million, buy the ticket. Okay? But a 50-50 shot of dying? Sorry. Those odds are not going to work for me. Okay? So th- th- that wouldn't have worked with me. I'm, I'm going to just tell you that right now. But 
This wasn't me. This was Eve. Okay. So it says that she was convinced. And, you know, we have to understand that anytime temptation comes our way, which this, this was clearly uh, her being tempted outside of her comfort zone. First of all, we need to have a full understanding of what exactly is at stake. Okay. I don't think she had a full grasp of what was at stake. Like I told you guys, because they couldn't fully conceptualize what death was because there was no death and decay in the world at that time. So if you don't know what it's actually going to cost you, how is it that you're even going to make that bet? That doesn't make sense to me. But she did. So then the second part of this verse says, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Now, this is kind of interesting because um, in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, um, starting at verse 15, it tells us that it tells or it gives us a model, I should say, of how temptation or, or how the, uh, the enemy, how the devil uses temptation in order to get us. OK, so. Here's what the Bible says, okay, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 16. It says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and the pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So here's the deal. Basically, how, how this breaks down is three different areas, okay? It breaks down in terms of things that will edify us physically, it breaks down in terms of things that we see, that, ev- that we are edified by what we see. And then it breaks down into, like, material possessions, okay, material achievements that we have pride in. Now, if we go back to uh, the previous verse, we'll see that this is exactly what the devil used to tempt her because it says the tree was beautiful, okay? She saw that the tree was beautiful, Okay, its fruit looked delicious. It could edify her body. Okay, and then she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Okay, so she wanted to possess this. She said, I need that. I want that in my life. Okay, so he hit her from all three. All three. And was able to tempt her and to lead her away because she was convinced at this point okay so one of the things that we have to understand is that she was subtly led away because it wasn't like you know the devil was like all right well yeah you're gonna die but it's still good to eat he didn't have to to really work hard to convince her he just appealed to the things that she was already drawn to He appealed to everything that she liked about what she saw, about what she thought it would do for her physically, and about what she would gain in the long term from it, okay? So he didn't have to work hard to to get this done, all right? And, like, if we look specifically at the part here where it says she wanted the wisdom it would give her, you know, I read through this a couple of times, and I, I, (laughs) I thought it was kind of funny because... Like, if we go back to, uh, I think it was verse 5, okay? The serpent never actually 
promised her that it would give her wisdom. This is what he promised her, that she would know both good and evil. Listen, knowledge by itself don't equal wisdom. Okay? And she operated under the false assumption that just because she would know something that God knew that she was going to be wise because of it, which is wrong. Okay? It's only when we take the the knowledge of what God is telling us and when we apply that to our lives that we can be wise. Okay? So, like, if we look in the book of Proverbs, we read through the the proverb of the day every day during the month. Okay? And one of the, the reoccurring themes that you'll find as you read through the Proverbs is that it talks about this process of getting wisdom. Okay, and we move whereby we move from being ignorant, which is not knowing about the things of God to move to moving towards wisdom. And it it comes basically in a four step process. Okay, so we get the knowledge. Okay, then we get understanding about that knowledge. And then we take that understanding about that knowledge and we make better choices. Okay, we learn how to discern and make good choices about it. And then it's only when we start applying that stuff to our life that we become wise. So she skipped over all of that in her rush to get to this knowledge, and she thought that it would give her wisdom, but it actually wasn't. She was just getting knowledge, okay? But knowledge without the right application will always lead you astray, okay? You are not going to be any wiser just because of what you know. It is only what you understand and what you make better choices with that makes you wise about what you know. So then we get to the part of the verse where it says that then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. <laughs> so this is funny um, because now if we think back to uh, we think back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. God was speaking directly to Adam when he gave the command that said, don't eat from this tree or else you will die. So he sat there and he listened to this whole conversation. And let me tell you something. Not once did he ever refute what the devil said. Not once did he ever refute what Eve said when she misquoted God. He just sat there silent the whole time in this conversation. He was just like, I guess I can go along with it. Are, are you serious? You walk with God every single day of your life up to that point, And then you decide that just because this serpent comes along and tells you something contrary to what God has been telling you, that it's just okay to abandon what God has said to you? That doesn't make sense. But I'm going to tell you what, just like Adam did it, we do it. We do it all the time. I mean, uh, how many times have we read in the Bible that we ought not lie, cheat, steal, but we've done it before. And some of us have done it multiple times. But this is part of this process of temptation leading to sin and what we have to understand is that um, 
the Bible actually talks in, in several different places about temptation. It tells us about how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by, by Satan himself. And um, there's a lot of different places where you can uh, see stories of temptation going on. But I want to show you guys a particular verse out of, uh, actually two verses out of the book of James. Uh, starting at James chapter 1, verse 14, where it says this. This is probably the clearest cut uh, definition of temptation and the process that it takes, okay, that you can get in all of the Bible. The Bible says this. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away, okay? So the Bible said that Eve wanted the wisdom that the fruit would give her, right? This was her own desire, okay? So the temptation was just placed there in front of her, and then her own desire took over because it was that that enticed and dragged her and Adam away, all right? So then verse 15 says this, the desire gives birth to sinful actions. What did they do? They went contrary to the word of God. They disobeyed God. Gave birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. At the very moment that they disobeyed God, sin entered the world, and guess what? Spiritual death came along with it. They didn't believe that they would physically die, or they certainly couldn't conceptualize it enough. So this is the death that God was actually referring to. Not that they would die physically and drop dead on the spot, but that they would be separated from him, separated from communion with him because of the death that sin brings. You know, and, and, and the problem here was that, I mean, like, we look back in hindsight having, you know, an entire wealth of knowledge from the Bible, uh, which they didn't have at the time, but at the same time, they walked closely with God, so they knew the things that he was telling them to do. Okay? And they still stepped into it, and God was there. You know, we can only conceptualize God in so much as we see him present in his word, in his actions through other people, in, uh, in our prayer life, in times when we're fasting, in all these times when we can draw spiritually closer to him. But they actually had physical presence with him in the Garden of Eden. Okay? So this was the process that took place for both of them. Okay? And they were led away by their own sinful desires, okay? So, you know, it got me to thinking, um, you know, with the both of them being dragged away, uh, having known what they known, that had they had having known what they had already known up to that point about what God had said, um, and so easily being convinced, um, you know, it got me to thinking, well, how is it that we go about and we guard ourselves against this? Because let's be real, temptation is out there. It's all the time. It is a constant in our lives. We're constantly tempted uh, to do things that would draw us away from the will of God because that's just how the, the devil works. Okay? So, we have to constantly be on guard against these things because guess what? 
The moment that you take your focus off of Jesus, the moment that you take your eyes off of that Bible for more than a day, the moment that you stop praying, the moment that you stop uh, 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 getting in the presence of the people of God, okay, that's the moment when you start to cut yourself out and you start to move further away from God and you start to stray. And eventually what happens is you turn your back on God. And that's when it's so easy for us to sin. So we got to understand this process and we, we, we have to be vigilant about understanding there's a way to do things the right way, the, the, the way to do things a godly way. But we have to be intentional about it. Like we have to make sure that we are mindful of the fact that, yes, temptation's always going to be there. But what are you going to do in the moment? Because if you don't make that decision beforehand, it's very easy to get caught up in the moment, just like Eve did, just like Adam did, and just go with it. We can't do that. We can't afford to do that. God has too many things on your plate that he wants to do in your life for you to get swept away by your own evil desires. But we got to be mindful about trying to seek those things. Pastor talked about it this morning. We got to seek God first. In this instance, they weren't seeking God first. They were seeking their own desires first. Okay? So let's take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Um, and then uh, I want to give you guys a, a couple of things to kind of think about. So it says, At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt the shame at their nakedness. So they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves, okay? And what we have to, to really think about this is that ultimately what happened here was, yeah, they did get the knowledge of good and evil out of this. They did become like God, seeing sin and seeing uh, his goodness become separated, okay? They did gain these things, but at what cost? What did it cost them? I mean, because if you read throughout the rest of this chapter, it talks about how the curse was placed on the serpent, so he would crawl around on his belly for the rest of eternity. Um, and then there was a curse on woman because she would have labor during childbirth, and she would try and rule over her husband, and, yeah, that's not the right thing to do. That's a word for some of y'all. Uh, you know, and then there was a curse on Adam that he would have to, to work and toil over this ground, um, you know, just to eke out a living, okay? And then ultimately, they were banished from the Garden of Eden, which means that they no longer had communion with God every day, not without sacrifice, okay? Because at that point, God stepped in and he made sacrifices for them so that they could have animal skins, well, the animal skins didn't come about just because he was like, all right, poof, here's some animal skins. No, there needed to be a sacrifice for that. And ever since that point, moving forward until Jesus came, there needed to be sacrifices of animals, sacrifices from the first fruits of the harvest, sacrifices for all types of things, from peace offerings to, uh, uh, to uh, sin offerings. You know, you read through, like, the, the book of Deuteronomy or the book of Numbers, and it tells you about all these tons of sacrifices that they had to do and all this blood that had to be spilled out on the altar for the people of Israel. And you're like, man, all of that because of one act. One act. 
So what did it really cost? You know, I bet you if you went back and you asked Adam or Eve if it was worth it, you know, they would tell you that, you know, it cost them being separated from God. It cost them. How about this? It cost them. When sin entered the world, it cost them their second son, Abel, because their first son, Cain, killed Abel because of what? Sin. The Bible talked about in, in the story of Cain and Abel that God went to Cain because his sacrifice wasn't right. And he told him at the time, he was like, look, this is how you can get your sacrifice right. All right. And he saw that Cain was still kind of distraught him and his mind wasn't right. And he told him he told him something really key here. He told him that sin was crouching at the door waiting to carry him away. And that he was going to be carried away from it if he didn't turn from it. Okay? So you ask, ask Cain and, or uh, I'm sorry, you ask Adam and Eve what it cost them. It cost them a bunch of stuff. Was it worth it? Just to be in the know. Was it worth it? No. I mean, we can sit here and we can say that in hindsight, but You know, you ask them and you look at what the ripple effect of their life was all the way through to this point in history, and they would absolutely tell you no, emphatically no. But this is what the cost of sin was and is, okay? So how do we take this knowledge and wisely apply it to our lives? There's three things, three three key lessons that we can take away from today's teaching okay and the first one is that we need to know what God has said for ourselves we absolutely need to know what God has said for ourselves and there's no better way for us to do that than to get into his word okay to get on our knees in prayer okay to make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with people from the house of faith okay to make sure that we are giving ourselves and sanctifying ourselves through the, through the process of making sure that we understand what his word says completely and fully, not just have a gloss over of what it says. I'm not just believing what pastor says about God. I'm not just believing what my wife may tell me about what she learned about from God. I'm not just believing, you know, what you hear on the radio from some of these radio preachers. I'm, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about do you have a relationship because you're getting into that word for yourself, Okay, do you have that relationship because you are praying to God on a regular basis? Okay, and I'm not talking about it has to be like a really long, drawn out prayer where you're sitting there praying for like five hours at a time. I mean, that would be cool. But guess what? God wants to hear from you out of the out of the uh, uh, out of the genuine will in your heart that says, you know what, God, I love you. And I just want to spend some time with you. Okay, so I'm going to sacrifice the time that I would normally sit here and watch television or be on the Internet or do any number of things. And I'm just going to commit this time to getting to know you. Okay, so we need to know what God has said for ourselves, and there's no better way for us to do that than by getting into his word. Second thing, we need to trust God's wisdom rather than our own. Okay, because. Proverbs 3 and 5 tells us that we need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, okay? Because when we start to lean on our own understanding, then clearly things can get messed up. Just ask Adam and Eve. 
they didn't fully understand what it meant for death, okay, to be the price that they would end up having to pay for not trusting God, okay? But nonetheless, that's what they, that's what they had to do, okay? So we need to make sure that regardless of what the world says, regardless of what science says, regardless of what you read on social media, regardless of what the mass media says, regardless of what, you know, your friend the Muslim says, regardless of what these people with these coexist stickers on the back of their car say, regardless of what any of the other sources will say, we got to trust God on his word. Period. There is no, uh, no conceding on that. Okay, we need to trust that and we need to cash that at the bank every day, you know, and twice on Sunday. Okay. So then there's the third thing. We need to constantly guard our hearts against temptation. Okay. And I talked about this a little bit before. And, you know, we need to understand that, yeah, temptation, it can be obvious. It can be blatant at certain times. Okay, but then again, uh, and quite more often, the things that we struggle with, the things that we are really drawn to, the things that we are really tempted by are the more subtle things, because the devil knows if you put something in front of you that's obvious, then you're probably not going to go for that. But you're more likely to go for the things that are very subtle, very simple. Okay, so here, I'll give you one temptation not to read your Bible. Okay, how many of y'all been uh, uh, got to the end of the day? And you're like, you know what, I still need to cook. I still need to, um, I still need to get the kids bathed. I still need to do, you know, something for the job. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and read a little bit later on. How many of y'all have been there? Okay. Uh, so then you get to that point in the night where all those tasks have been taken care of, and then you're like, man, my mind is just fried right now. I need to go ahead and watch a little TV, and then, you know, or maybe I should just jump on Facebook real quick because then I can read my Bible after that. Okay, yeah, we've all been there. And then, you know, you get to that point in the night where it's like, all right, well, now I'm tired. Now it's at the end of the day. Okay? And now it's like, okay, do you make that choice to walk around and read your Bible and stay on your feet so that you can stay awake? Or do you say, ah, well, you know what? Let me just sit here and get comfortable with the good book. Okay? Let me meditate on, on this real quick. You know, you read like two lines and then your face is in the Bible like this. I'm just saying that temptation is there to put things off, to procrastinate, to get it done a little bit later on. No, no, no. If it's on your mind right now, do it right now. Let's get it done right now because it's going to benefit you now moving forward if you go with the heart of expecting, expecting to receive something from it. Okay? Do it now. We fight that temptation. Pastor talked about the uh, 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 going out and buying uh, Christmas gifts and whatnot. Yeah, there's a temptation right now for uh, people who love to shop to go nuts during this time of year, right? They got all these sales going on. Black Friday just went past us. As we get closer to Christmas, they're trying to close everything out. Everything must go. Okay, I can get a great deal on it. Well, the temptation is to overspend on what you've made. So now you're living outside the will of God because God doesn't want you to be a slave to debt. Okay. Now you're living outside the will of God because you've made it more about the things rather than the giver of the things. Okay. So you've been tempted and it's ever so subtle. Ever so subtle. But this is how temptation works. Okay. 
So we can easily just sit up here and try and brush it off and be like, oh, it's okay because I can get it done later. But that's not where God wants you. God wants your heart first. Remember, we got to seek God first. Okay, so we need to make sure that when we get up in the morning, okay, we are saying, good morning, God. Thank you for another day of life. I don't know if I get the full 24 out of this, but whatever you got for me today, thank you for it. Okay, we need to get past the temptation of going and grabbing a bite to eat first and then jump starting into this day because it's real easy to get pulled along over the course of the day by everything that pops up rather than just addressing what needs to be addressed first. Okay, so we can't allow ourselves to fall to that temptation. I don't care if it's obvious or if it's subtle. Um, You know, and I want to go ahead and leave you with this one last thought. There's a a very, uh, very common cliche in Christian circles that says that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And how true is that? You know, we, we, we understand that from this story that we talked about this morning, um, but you know, it's one thing to read it inside the Bible. It's another thing to take that, that, uh, that story and, and apply it to our own situation. So ask yourself this. Of the things that you struggled with in terms of sin, was it really worth it? You know, was it, uh, was it worth the, uh, the embarrassment of, you know, having to get fired because uh, you didn't you know, you didn't do something right on the job, or was it worth, um, you know, getting caught or flunked out of a class because you cheated on a test, or was it worth, um, you know, the embarrassment of, you know, putting stress on your marriage because you stepped out on the marriage because you were tempted and led away by your own desires, okay? Was it worth it? Listen, sin is never worth it. Sin is always going to cost you something. Sin is always going to cost us something as a body of Christ. Sin cost God the life of his son on that cross. Okay? Sin is always going to cost you something. Okay? There are only benefits with following God. You can only benefit from from following God. There is no cost to following God. Yeah, there will be struggle. Okay, and yeah, it's not always going to be easy, but the payoff is not here and now. The payoff is in the here and after. We have to keep the long minded focus. Okay, we have to keep our eyes focused so far in the future that here and now is just inconsequential because it doesn't matter. Okay, the things that are happening to you right now are temporary. When you step into eternity, though, eternity is forever. You can't get to forever with God if you don't have a relationship with God because sin will keep you separate from him. The Bible teaches us that God can't even look upon sin. He turned his back on Jesus three hours when Jesus was on the cross because he couldn't look upon sin. And Jesus famously said, why have you forsaken me? There's always a cost that is associated with sin. There is always a 
price that needs to be paid. Now, the good thing is that Jesus paid that, cri- that price for us on the cross at Calvary. But just because he paid it already, paid the tab already, doesn't mean that we can freely keep walking in sin as if it didn't matter. We have a higher calling than that. We have a higher responsibility than that. And if we love Jesus, we would truly follow him in spirit and truth. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your house and to learn from your word. Lord, we, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that was made for us on Calvary from Jesus. God, we thank you that you are always there for us uh, and that you remind us that temptation will always be there, but a way out of temptation will always be there as well. God, we pray now and we ask that you help us to walk in this message and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.